3: each.
2: Visit livenation.com
1: slash concertweek to buy now. That's livenation.com slash concertweek to buy now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision?
2: Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel.
3: They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. Uh, Several of you are making an appearance on the show today. That's right. This is our weekly listener mail segment where we hear Directly from you and uh, so far the only complaint that we have amongst ourselves about the show is that this segment uh, can't get to everything that we hear from uh, our fellow listeners every week, which is what corporate America would call a good problem to have. Don't you think guys for sure. I just love corporate America and all their useful buzz phrases. What is a wheelhouse? You know, I've been keeping for – God, I've been doing this for uh, more than a decade now, I think. And uh, I've been keeping a reference guide to corporate buzz terms, and some of them are so bizarre. Like phrases like, eat our own dog food. That's well, I a don't real know one.
1: that one. I don't know that one. Yeah, uh, one. One that always makes me cringe is, let's take a peek under the kimono.
3: Yeah, that's gross. Uh... I used to – I actually used that line in a uh, – Oh gosh! Well, our bosses don't listen to the show, so I'm I'm fine to say this. I I used to uh, sit during meetings, Matt. You know this, and take random lines of statements from people at the meetings and compose them into poems. Uh, the way that yeah. uh, you seem like maybe uh, some artists did that with George W. Bush and stuff, and and the kimono line stuck out to me. Uh, we we made I, a whole
2: YouTube series. Trapped in a meeting. Remember. It was basically that, Ben. It was basically poetry (laughs) of of corporate speak.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Connell, by the way,
3: is a great improviser. He
1: Mm -hmm. absolutely is. Although, wasn't it always the same footage in every single one of those videos of him like doing the... The presentation. And nope. the only, it, it was
2: no. We shot an entire, I think it was hour and a half, hour long meeting or something. That then we just spliced up into all the episodes. Oh, two, okay.
3: two okay. hours maybe. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was long. Got it. You'll, By you'll the way, a wheelhouse is a part of a boat that's like
3: the shelter. Don't tell for the me. Person. Don't tell me. No, don't no, ruin no, 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 no. I don't no, want no, no. the mystery ruins. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Uh, <laughs> I like that. You've got to have something to wake up for in the morning uh i like what's life without a little bit of mystery it's a uh, house shaped like a wheel
1: uh, it's God, it's not spoiler I mean, i'm just too. adding to the mystery i'm adding
3: new <laughs> uh, new new input to the mystery uh, man uh it's good that we're starting out with some levity today because uh the listener mail and correspondence that we're exploring touches on some heavy heavy things uh to be honest with you, we've got, we've got some scientific mysteries. We've got some ongoing, horrible things, uh, both in the U.S. and across the world. Uh, where should we begin? Um, Noel, if, if you feel good about it, you want to do the honors and kick us off with, uh, with the email that, that you found? This is one of like a surge of emails we got, too, I believe.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I feel good about it exactly, but I, I will definitely do this thing. This email um uh, emailer uh, asked to remain anonymous for some pretty obvious reasons uh, that you will uh, shortly understand. And this was a response to Matt's strange news story from last week about Paris Hilton and her troubled upbringing uh, being kind of, taken to these sort of like boot camps or sort of i guess i don't know rehab type things not necessarily for drugs but just for like bad behavior Uh, like detention centers troubled children that's right but but these are not detention centers and they're not like mandated by the law right these are like you pay for these these are private companies that do these you know sort of crash course kind of things for profit right and that is specifically what this email is about, and the reason our listener asked to remain anonymous because she has had firsthand knowledge of, of this stuff. Um, it's, it's a little long. I'm going to read some excerpts, but mainly I think it's all worth uh, hearing, and then we can have a little discussion about it. Uh, Good morning, gentlemen. I listened to the story Matt told about Paris Hilton, uh, her story of the troubled child industry. That's what it's called, I guess, from those uh, working inside of it. Um, And since I was recently a science teacher at one of their schools, I thought I would touch base with y'all about my experience with it because I'm a certified teacher now in the public school system. I asked that my anonymity be honored. Uh, The first thing I thought you should know is that when they kidnap the kids, they call it gooning. G-O-O-N-I-N-G. And Hmm. the stories my students told me about it were horrible. After the girls in our program were gooned, they would be taken to a wilderness program where they did intense therapy while living outdoors in the wilderness all seasons, usually in the Idaho or Utah mountains. They would learn meditation, do therapy, and learn survival skills like how to start a fire and carve a spoon. Not all of our girls did wilderness, but the ones who didn't were rare. Once the girls were done with that program, usually three to six months, sometimes more and sometimes less, their recruiter would have a school or other program lined up. They have a recruiter or handler who works with their family through the system, who guides them through a series of programs, usually all run under a single umbrella corporation, like Mm. Interchange or Embark. Um, Brokers get a cut. And this is this is a listener's opinion uh, or an assumption she's making based on her experience in the industry. But she says she assumes the longer that the children are into the program, the more programs they do, the bigger the cut the broker gets. Um, Let me tell you why I think this industry is uh, disgusting and predatory. Once at the school, the clients are in a system that requires them to check boxes to graduate. They move through a series of steps where privileges are gained or lost based on their conformity. The stated goal is that they are improving in therapy, but that's frankly bullshit. Uh, Since I was merely the science teacher and the 10 years of work I did in the therapeutic community meant nothing. I was regularly ignored by the many therapists who run around like demagogues, making arbitrary decisions about the lives of our population. Our girls had classes four days a week, all year long, and were pulled from class so often for therapy to speak to prospective families, convincing them to bring their kids to our, oh, wow. Literally pulled from class to be kind of trotted out as examples, uh, speaking to prospective families about their positive experiences or whatever, what have you. Um, Yeah, prospective families convincing them to bring their kids to our program to do commercials. To talk to the program's director or just because someone wanted to take them somewhere uh, for some BS arbitrary reason it made me so uncomfortable. I blacklisted my classes, forcing the therapist to remove them from other classes. Uh, they kind of listened Sometimes I didn't feel comfortable giving the girls grades because they weren't getting through enough of the standards. Hmm. I was considered the strictest teacher on campus. Uh, There were a whole six of us because I made them do actual work and did actual lessons. I barely had the materials I needed and our books were so out of date. My chemistry book was missing 18 elements on the periodic table. I was also a therapist, a safe space and a mom to many of the girls. Um, Girls ran, they self harmed. They refused to eat. They had real issues that didn't seem to ever be truly addressed in a meaningful way. I'm still in contact with a bunch of my girls and know I had a positive impact, but the company hated me from minute one in part because our installation uh, in particular is run by and employs a lot of strict Mormon members. And I don't care about, uh, towing their arbitrary gender roles. I hated that job. It almost killed me. And when they fired me at the end of last year, I already had a new job lined up. Anyway, I won't go into the uh, accreditation process we went through while I was there, It was laughable, she says, because I've written so much already. I'm willing to answer any questions I can, if you have any. Um, I think it would be a good idea for you guys to do an episode on the industry. It's predatory and scary how we treat kids in this country, especially at these and other types of private institutions.
2: Wow. Yeah. It's tough to hear from an educator who is within the system, who saw all the problems inside, who knew the... The children who were involved had real problems that, that weren't being addressed because that—that's the whole point of this system, right? Um, or at least that's right. the stated goal. Mm-hmm. Um, when it does feel like maybe the true goal is more about conformity to norms uh, and to to accepting authority, yeah. Maybe those are maybe those are closer to the actual goals.
3: I would argue the actual goals are simply and solely profit and avoiding prosecution.
2: Yeah, I I yeah, I mean I can I can see that, but I guess I'm trying to imagine from the how you could get away with it for long enough uh, without having some kind of stated goal that the parents in some way I agree with, like it was mm-hmm. worth it to send my child there basically. Right. Um, and I think conformity is probably the biggest thing, like breaking down a child's free will. <laughs> To a certain compliance.
3: Extent. Let's say compliance. Compliance, that's, that's, that's a good one. That's what, I mean, that's that's something that uh, many institutions are in, were founded entirely on. Law enforcement, the military, religion, they're founded on conformity and compliance. I appreciate that you uh, read the the entirety of, of the email because it's it's indicative of the vast amount of uh, correspondence that we've received here, not just email, but I'm sure that we've all had people personally reaching out to us in this regard. Uh, One of the things we said is we do want to make an episode about this. Uh, The further down the rabbit hole I've gone since we did that episode, I don't know about you guys, uh, the more disturbing stuff I found. Judicial corruption runs rampant, uh, sometimes functioning hand-in-hand with these private institutions, the uh, the victims, and I do think victims is a fair word. In many cases, are are dealing with lifelong PTSD uh, trauma of these experiences. Um, and the problem is that again, I think the the main issue here is that there is not oversight the of any substantive form. I greatly appreciate this email uh, from you, anonymous, because. I I think you're giving a a startling look into something that's more common than people realize and the thing I've been struggling with again I don't know about you guys just speaking for myself is remembering that logically these are not all terrible places right some of them are helping people just to finish that though
1: no they're not all terrible places and also let's not forget that you know there are children that that this this isn't just run of the mill bad behavior like parents just like shoving their kids off because they don't want to deal with disciplining them. I mean, typically we are talking about things like self harm, uh, you know, severe depression, um, suicidal ideations, like things like that, that are beyond the scope of things that parents can handle. And of course, you know, it it is a luxury for some parents to be able to afford to send their kids to places like this. And certainly there are probably a a range of facilities that are, you know, uh, vouched for more than others. and, And I'm sure the cost rises accordingly. Uh, but you're right, Ben. I I see what you're saying, and I I agree. It's not to throw all uh, sort of, I guess you could call it, like sleep-away therapy situations under the bus, but it certainly does seem like the lack of oversight, the lack of proper accreditation um, could cause some real problems, I think, and that's uh, clear from this and other emails we've gotten around this subject.
2: Well, yeah. And, and speaking of those other emails, we've had so many people write to us to say that what's what ended up sending them or what what ended up getting them into one of these places was trauma that occurred to them. Uh, a lot of times it was abuse by someone around them before ever entering the facility and the facility is meant to assist uh, the student, the the child in dealing with the trauma that they've experienced and only to arrive at a place to have further, even worse trauma inflicted upon them. Um, that's what makes, I think, this so egregious. Uh, and again, that is not in every instance. And as we're seeing here from our anonymous emailer, there are good individuals that exist within the ecosystem of even the worst schools. You, There have to be good individuals in there um, who see what's happening, want to change it, and maybe can't change it. Um, it's just we we have to remember all the sides of this um it, it's just it's it's horrifying it's it's horrifying and and i am i'm not looking forward to making this a full episode but i think it is it's very important and we and we should and we will we we keep saying that uh, we we will
3: yeah well i mean this is we we to our credit we only uh said it in that first, uh, in that first strange news, and today, so, and we do put in the research time with this, uh, at the risk of, um, sounding like it's all gloom and doom here. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I always feel like we're on the right track when I get the feeling that we, that I don't want us to do something, but it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Because that's the reason this show exists. Completely it's agree. Not, not to just, I, I don't know. We do fun stuff too, right? There are a lot of, like, Bernays is still fun, even well, though a lot of people died because of him. Um,
2: and uh, yeah, by the way, uh, this is a little behind the curtain, uh, but if anybody, if any of you have noticed, we have been doing some more paranormal stuff recently, some more things that are, I don't know, more, I dislike the word fun, uh, just more, Mysteriously, esoteric. yeah, esoteric, mysteriously entertaining, I think. Uh, and I would just say on my part, it's because personally I'm feeling a little overwhelmed with everything that's happening. And this is giving me great joy to explore some of those other topics. And thinking about something as as messed up and dire as this topic, it just is giving
3: me anxiety, further anxiety. Totally. I, I mean, I, I'm with you while we're staying backstage. I, I miss it. Because uh, that kind of stuff is the soul of the show. And it's easy to drift away, but this is critical thinking applied to the paranormal and conspiracies. And to, to like, say otherwise is, uh, is to lose sight of the reason we started, you know? I mean, this, this is, in many cases, the troubled teen industry is itself conspiratorial right? They are conspiring to, get, to goon these kids. Uh, they're conspiring in some cases to cover up uh, abuse, right? And again, that's it's too broad a brush to say that that's happening in every single institution every single day. But um, the, the things that we have found that, you're, that our fellow listeners have shared with us are immensely compelling. Like there is, there is something rotten in the Denmark of the troubled teen industry.
1: What an odd term, though, using goon. I think of goon squads as like a group of mercenaries or something, or, you know, criminals that are going to attack you with billy clubs. It's odd that they would choose to use that term as like an industry insider word. I think, mm. I think, yeah.
2: I, I highly doubt that's on many memos. I think it's yeah. probably uh, nomenclature that's just spoken about mm-hmm. by the people who do it.
3: Were they going to say press gang? Like the yeah. British uh, Empire of old, it's a good point. I actually found a piece in the
1: New York Times from 2016 called uh, "Therapy Becomes Theater in Wilderness," and it was about a, a person who basically converted their like experience in this uh, therapy type of program um, into a theater piece. But the the word gooning is used in, in this as well, and this is no, it is it is a thing. So yeah, I think maybe more more to this discussion another time uh, in a full episode. I think to to, yeah. to to back to back you guys up that makes perfect sense, and thank you so much for the insider perspective on this uh, from our anonymous listener. Yes,
2: and and look look seriously keep in mind there's going to be an entire nonfiction documentary series about a specific school coming out next year uh, from my slate. So we'll talk about that in further detail too,
3: and. In the interim, uh, please keep the correspondence coming. We very much want to hear from you.
1: So let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back with some more Listener Ma'am. your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime.
2: Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.
0: And we're back. We're
2: going to hear a message from someone named Bob. Here it is.
4: Yeah, hey, it's uh, it's Bob
3: from Northern Canada, and uh, I was just listening to the podcast about uh, solar flare, something like that. And, uh, I seem to remember back in the 90s,
2: our, our phones got knocked out at work, and, and our phones stopped working
3: for like a day, something like that. And they, they all chalked it up to a solar flares. Do you remember that? Back in the 90s? Maybe it was the early onset. So. Anyways, I, I didn't think about that until now, and, uh, I thought, I thought that would be worth bringing up again, but, uh, Really appreciate the podcast, and uh, keep up the good work. All right. Take care, brothers.
2: Okay. Bob, solar flares. Um, Maybe you don't know this, but solar flares, solar activity, coronal mass ejections, that's one of our favorite topics on this show. It's one of my personal favorite things to be fearful of and aware of
3: nothing you can do about it. Uh, Yeah.
2: The power of the sun. It uh, controls us in so many ways. Um, We, here we go. I did a bit of research behind this outside of what we've already talked about on our show when it comes to uh, mass excitability with the sun. I think that's probably the episode you listened to Bob and found a couple of things. There's an NOAA article that I found here that talks about five times where, the, where solar activity affected life on Earth in a negative way. A lot of times it had to do with technology. And I don't know if this is the actual thing that occurred that you're thinking about. But I'm going to tell you something that occurred on March 10th, 1989. So almost the 90s. uh, It's really close. Okay, so there was a powerful coronal mass eruption on the sun. And there was a flare. The outburst caused uh, shortwave radio interference. It jammed signals from Radio Free Europe, which is something we've talked about before on this show. It's a government-funded organization that broadcasts uncensored news and information to audiences in countries where it's banned by the government. It's a a bit of an intelligence operation there. Some people thought it was the Russians doing this. Um, And it's really interesting because you, you imagine the sun is so far away when there's a CME or a coronal mass ejection or a solar flare or something like that. That energy is getting pulsed out. And if it's aimed towards the earth, it takes a while to hit us. When it did hit us on March 12th, It caused northern lights to be seen as far south as Florida and Cuba, which is crazy to think about. Like, that must have been just a massive solar storm there. Created all kinds of electrical currents in the ground, affected Mm -hmm. much of North America. And then on March 13th, in the morning, it affected a weak section of the electrical power grid in Quebec, Canada, and caused the entire city's power grid to go down. It was a blackout that lasted for 12 hours. Millions of people were affected by it. There were other cities also within the United States, up in that um, northern territory area that were affected by the solar storm. Uh, There were over 200 power grid problems within minutes of this thing actually impacting the Earth across the country. Uh, Really fascinating stuff just to imagine that the sun can have a bit of a burp uh, <laughs> a large a large belch and it can it can affect us in this way and i guess the good thing is that it can do much more damage than that and it was it was not i guess it wasn't a worse situation
3: right because the sun is a sphere and these cmes coronal mass ejections uh that, that's what was responsible in 1989, as you mentioned, Matt. I think we did a YouTube video about at least how it affected Quebec. But the um, since the sun is a sphere, these CMEs come from a direction that launches from a specific point on that sphere. They don't just emanate from the whole thing so that means there are cme's that could that could be uh tremendously potentially catastrophic and they just shoot out into empty space because we're on we're like on the other side of the solar neighborhood uh which is lucky but also kind of frightening cuz we're basically playing a game of solar russian roulette you know what i mean at some point that's a variable the gun quote unquote in some ways going to be uh loaded and I remember all those years ago, this is something I had not really been aware of until you introduced me to it, Matt. One thing I found that was interesting in response to Bob's uh, correspondence here is, Bob, I I really want to know specifically where you were. Yeah, I know. Because it turns out that due to some factors we might not consider, some areas, at least in the U.S., some areas of the world presumably are more vulnerable in general than others like the uh midwest and eastern seaboard in the US uh almost entirely because of the electric grid is is much more vulnerable to these sorts of effects but the the science is there i mean cmes can knock out electric grids but they can also uh interfere with the energy that your phone has to use to communicate
2: yeah it's really interesting stuff there's even more that we could touch on with the the quebec blackout but uh of of 89 but it it's, ugh, it's really creepy there it became kind of legendary when it at least according to NASA when it comes to electrical engineers uh and uh space scientists who were just trying to figure out, okay, how do we prevent this from happening in the future? How do mm. we secure all of this infrastructure to make sure when this happens again we we don't have a blackout that lasts for half a day or a full day or weeks or months? Um, Mm -hmm. because you have no doubt if there's a large enough coronal mass ejection that reaches earth that is aimed at earth and reaches earth, um, it can fry the entire electrical grid of the planet, at least the sun facing part, as well as, you know, it just depends on a lot of variables, but it could have a major effect to the point where electrical wires themselves get fried and, you have you'd have to re like imagine the imagine the power grid near your house if you've got telephone lines or something that have electricity running through them through the wires imagine all of that frying but then imagine that not just in your neighborhood but in your entire city or your entire state and how long it would take for the city or state or even the federal government to replace all of that
1: infrastructure to get power back. Oh, dude, think how long it takes sometimes to even just like reset a power, you know, a brownout or something like on in a neighborhood. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I can't imagine the uh, logistics of, of doing something on that scale. I mean, we'd we'd hit the road territory pretty fast. I think that's just just
3: well thinking. for a time we <laughs> would, but there's there's another factor that we have to consider here. And this is going again, Bob, I don't mean to sound like I'm stalking you, but let let me know, (laughs) let me know where you're located (laughs) because some areas of the world have what, uh, what could best be described as terrible geological luck. They Mm -hmm. have electrically resistive rock or more so than normal. So this would be like igneous uh, metamorphic formations and, when when we're talking about high voltage electrical components and wires in those parts of a world, those parts of the world or those parts of this country, that means they're uh, more vulnerable to geomagnetic disturbances from not even just not even CMEs, just solar flares. And yeah. engineers are aware of this and they want to plan for it. But the tough part is, uh, you know, funding gets cut for infrastructure all the time, right? The U.S. infrastructure is crumbling in parts of this country. Everything from the bridges to, infamously, the levees to the electricity grid. It's no different. So imagine you're the engineer and you have to come in and say, look, I know the project is supposed to cost X amount of dollars over Y amount of years, but we need Z amount of extra funding to make sure that the sun doesn't like pop a sniper headshot at us and plunge New York into darkness. Maybe New York would have the money to listen, but a lot of smaller towns aren't going to do like, how are you going to convince? I'm just going to make up a small town. Apologies if I'm accidentally naming yours folks. How are you going to convince the people of, um, Mountain foot, hog swallow, uh, West Dakota. There we go. I made it safe Mm -hmm. because that's not a real state. Uh, How are you going to convince them to spend the cash on something as a contingency for something that really may never happen on a reasonable scale? Uh, You have to try because you're going to be public enemy number one if this kind of thing happens because people, as we've seen during blackouts, the social covenant that we have with each other is very fragile. It, de- it entirely depends on mm. two things. One, basic human decency, and two, the fear of consequences. When you remove number two, number one doesn't seem as powerful as it did when the lights were working.
2: Whoa. Yeah. Totally. Dude. So, hey, in conclusion, Bob, I don't, we don't know what exactly... You mean what? What was happening? By the way, I edited that a little bit. What you just heard, he mentions blackberries. That I think the entire office was using blackberries. So Ooh. I I did a bit of research trying to find a time when uh, the the network that BlackBerry uses went down in the area where he was describing, and I could not find anything that correlated. So. Uh, again, if you get more info, Bob, please email us this time just because we know your voice, we know what's going on. If you want to give us more context, shoot us an email and we'll, uh, we'll try and track some of this down. In the meantime, do your own research, if you, if you can, on the 1859 solar flare that was observed and the resulting solar storm and what happened to telegraph systems across the planet. Really interesting stuff.
3: Oh, I don't know if I should put this out there, but it sh- may be of interest to some of our fellow listeners. If you are in a situation where you don't want cellular devices to work around you for whatever reason, for a given amount of time, uh, then with a little bit of research, it's fairly simple to build uh, your own handheld kind of EM- like jammer system. What? You can fit it in an Altoid 10. Oh, wow. This is not Where? sponsored Where? by Altoids. Where? Show me this spin. <laughs> uh maybe, maybe off air. Uh but yeah, yeah, it's uh it, it's weird because I I found out about it years ago when uh Altoids was asking the success like the successful shows on our network to talk about what they called تنovations. Yeah, I, I remember think- this. Yeah, I was thinking how can we figure out something that we could do with this? That would work for stuff they don't want you to know, and then that was that was the answer I found. You can build a small enough one to fit in an Altoids tent. Is this like a, is this like an EMP
1: kind of situation, or is this different?
3: Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, this would be an EMP jammer. Uh, do you have to point out maybe one of the reasons Altoids? Uh, <laughs> Pass on it. Is that technically, from what I understand, it is uh, it is legal uh, in in the U.S. if oh. you are if you're not a government official. So uh, I guess we cannot legally tell you that it is very very easy to build one. We again we cannot legally say uh, that you could go online and in a very short amount of time find both uh, the guide to making it and the components you would need. We
1: would never. Well,
3: certainly,
2: certainly don't send me a link, Ben, whatever (laughs) you do.
3: (laughs) I would not. I would certainly, Matt, I would certainly never on air say that I will send you a link after we record. Well, thank goodness. (laughs) It's really important to have boundaries,
1: you guys. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. All right. Hey, I
2: think I think uh, I think this ends our discussion for now. Bob, thank you so much for calling in. We hope we gave you something helpful. We'll, uh, we'll take a quick break and be right back.
1: your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime.
2: Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.
3: And we're back. Our next piece of listener correspondence comes from a person we'll call A, who reached out via Twitter. A reached out to us uh, a while back earlier this month to ask us to cover a little more about the situation in Nigeria, which hopefully you have heard about because uh, a lot of mass media outlets finally finally got it together and started reporting on these enormous protests. So I'm going to read just a little bit of what A wrote uh, and then we'll give uh, more examination of the lay of the land. So, A is based in Nigeria, by the way. A says, the protests nationwide have been peaceful so far, that is, until the police began shooting live ammunition and tear gas into the crowd. He's alluding to protests that are um, largely centered on the abolition of something called SARS not the disease SARS is an acronym standing for the Special Anti Robbery Squad so that's the SARS we're talking about today a uh, Nigerian police force unit created back in 1992 uh, on paper they were supposed to deal with crimes associated with robbery grand theft auto or motor vehicle theft kidnapping illegal firearms cattle rustling that kind of stuff but unfortunately It turns out that they were committing crimes at least as often as they were ostensibly preventing them. So in asking A about what what the protests were about, because at the time he reached out to us, this was not widely reported in Western media, A said that they're ultimately pushing for the disbandment of SARS, which I believe has occurred, and also pushing for actual lasting reform. A says the issue here is that in Nigeria, saying reform means we'll shuffle our feet a bit, wait for tensions to die down, and then forget everything. uh, And it'll be back to business as usual. Also, A says something that may be of interest to our listeners not based in Nigeria. It says, uh, first, the police have a really bad reputation here. Bribery, extortion, brutality are very common traits. Police work well for the rich. They get these guys as escorts to accompany them on the road. The ones who aren't lucky to be escorts, apparently it's very lucrative for them, do stop and search on the roads. This is where a lot of extortion takes place. Drivers are forced to drop a little something, for them before they're allowed to pass. And sometimes they go out of their way to do this preemptively because it's so expected. Like you travel with the bribe in hand. Police detain people without evidence. Bail is not free. A goes on to say, I've heard stories of people who got charged with crimes they didn't commit and had just been spirited away to police cells. Recently during the protests, one police officer shot another one while they were shooting live ammunition to dispel protesters. A protester got picked up and was charged with the murder of that police officer. It took a lot of effort to get that protester released, and this was after he was physically assaulted and being taken to a federal prison. This is one of many similar crimes. And then A is quick to say, now there, of course, there might be a few specks of good cops here and there, but that's just it. Recent research has shown that police in Nigeria are largely underpaid. This may be a motivating factor, but still isn't a good reason to cause the havoc they have been wreaking on Nigerians. They're still victims of a failed system and their anger is, if that is what it can be called, is directly at the wrong place. So a, Hmm. you make an interesting point. You're saying that the police in some way may also be victims of this uh, of a broken system, and that's something we talked about in our earlier strange news episode when we were talking about the ethics of fraudulent uh, CARES Act claims under Nuke Bizzle or Nuke Bizzle's fraudulent claims.
1: I love the idea of under Nuke Bizzle, like as though he's some sort of uh, uh, politician or like a regime. The Nuke Bizzle right. under the Careful. Nuke Bizzle regime,
3: <laughs> uh, under the Nuke Bizzle SoundCloud administration. Yes, that's indeed. right. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's talk about SARS for a little bit. So in the interim uh, between when A wrote to us and when we recorded this episode, all of a sudden it seemed, uh, international media companies began to care about what was happening in Nigeria. By which I mean they began to report about it. The BBC, Al Jazeera, uh, New York Times, I believe, has a piece. But this has been this has been happening for uh, unfortunately, for quite a while, and it's not, I would advance that it was reaching the West first in terms of uh, via Twitter, right? Twitter is doing a lot of reporting these days because it doesn't have some of the same filters, right, that mainstream media has in place. That's a powerful thing inarguably, but it's not necessarily always a good thing because uh, mainstream journalism has filters some of the filters they have in place include things like vetting information, confirming sources yeah and and twitter's primary filter is do you have a twitter account and <laughs> a uh connection to the internet, which is not the same uh but yeah but here's here's what's happening like we see we see tweets uh like one from december fifth twenty seventeen uh where someone says a friend just called me now, a distress call, along a know-how road, he encountered SARS, and they wanted 50K, but all he had was 30K. So he's calling to get 20K from me to pay them off. Uh, He was just driving back from work. So these, like imagine being snatched out of your car, being gooned out of your car, uh, and being shaken down for a bribe. Bribes are, so these are what we would call often, street-level bribes, right? Victimizing the community one is supposed to serve and protect. Yeah. These are extremely common in lots of other parts of the world. In In Guatemala, one of the uh, euphemisms, I'm sure we mentioned this before, but in Guatemala, one of the euphemisms is like, if a cop is shaking down a tourist or someone, or any, anybody on the roads, then they'll say something like, well, you know, maybe we can make this not such a big deal. Uh, you know, I could use uh, extra money for chicklets. <laughs> uh, the chicklet tree is yeah. in Guatemala and chiclets are, are popular. So you just, you're like, oh, I'm just helping this guy, give him some money for some gum. You know what I mean? That's not a bribe. That's just two fans of gum celebrating life. Uh, but there are also, you know, you you hear all kinds of euphemisms from law enforcement around the world, like a little taste. You know what I mean? uh it's just yeah. not i think in the us we're often blind to this because we don't we don't see low level bribes happening as often in the united states if they do it's not a, necessarily a small financial sum it's something like sexual favors or mm. drugs in kind but that's not to say our system is not corrupt it's just the entry price of a successful bribe tends to be much higher that's right
1: and it's it's certainly not just like a common Parlance that like you can okay I can get out of this ticket by you know rubbing together a twenty dollar bill huh how about uh, as my yeah. friend my friend George Washington here says that uh, you didn't pull me over
2: well it's uh, this may be controversial and I'm sorry in advance but it may seem to some like it does to me that the bribes have just been made official in the United States the bribe Ooh. is now no longer the money changing hands between an officer or two officers and a victim of the who's being forced to do this. It is now an official statute for a parking violation or a speeding ticket or some other thing that you have to pay several hundred dollars to the county for
4: or like Uh, bail
3: or bail Mm -hmm. or lobbying. Lobbying is weird. No one ever talks about lobbying. Oh, man, no,
1: all of that stuff feels like uh, essentially codified bribery, like especially when it's not even based in government. Like in Atlanta here, we have a company that will boot your car uh, if you're parked in a, an unauthorized place, and that's based on, I guess, who owns the lot and you know some signage or whatever, but it's not even the city. It's this third-party company that then puts like a, a boot on your car and a sticker on your window with a number to call so that like the person can show up with a credit card machine that you can then swipe to get your car back. <laughs> it's basically mm. like unlawful seizure of your property yeah. without due process,
3: you know? And they're on commission.
2: A hundred percent.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh and I think was it was it you know who like got booted one time at my old apartment? Yes. <laughs> oh god. Mm-hmm. So we had to go out there, and I had to, I, I had to like. Uh, I don't quite remember what the circumstances were, but I do. This is all coming back. This is not.
1: Yeah. This is not what I was describing because this what I'm describing happened to me another time in Atlanta's uh, little Five Points area where I parked at a Starbucks and I got a coffee, and then I walked over to a record store. When I came back ten minutes later, my car was booted, and there was mm-hmm. a sticker on the window, and they literally roll up with like a machine. It's it's like right. you know holding your car hostage. But yeah, I, mm. I, I do remember. Did I leave it overnight or something?
3: Or I can't remember. But oh, yeah. I had to go out there. You did. I had to go out there and talk to him. But the um, but we we managed to resolve that because we weren't dealing with some entity like SARS. Yes. So the end SARS campaign picked up a lot of steam recently, uh, in this month in particular, in October as we record this, because a police officer in SARS uh, shot a young man in front of a hotel in the Delta State, and the video became the uh, watershed moment, right? It became the Malcolm Gladwell-esque tipping point for the nation. It started trending on social media, and within a matter of days, there were nationwide protests. They expanded, uh, like it started with uh, hashtags, right, as many things do, and then it became uh, something that was in city streets throughout the country uh prominent notable activists celebrities were joining this raising awareness of the protest because SARS was SARS was capable of uh victimizing people from all walks of life in the country with impunity and uh they were noticed to be very violent like that's part of why even Nigerian celebrities joined in but when these protests occurred, the response was uh, the response from authorities was massively violent. Uh, we already mentioned live ammunition, like uh, like you pointed out to us. A uh, people were also beaten, chased yeah. away. Uh, however, uh, at this point, there is good news. Uh, just on October eleventh, not that long ago. The inspector general of the police, one Mohammed Adamu, announced that they were disbanding SARS. They were disbanding the special anti-robbery squad. I said this on live television, but to the point we made earlier, they, said, they also said a new tactical team will be unveiled yeah. shortly. Yeah.
2: Can, can we talk just briefly about how SARS began and what they used to do, their,
3: what it was? Yeah, absolutely. 1992,
2: right? Yeah. So you mentioned that already, 1992. It started out as essentially an undercover operation. There were literally 15 individual officers in two vehicles that would go around and they would do covert covert operations where essentially they're listening to radios, they're picking up signals from people on the road who are, you know, as they ride around to catch criminals um, and they're not, they're not going in to arrest somebody immediately. They're doing, they're doing surveillance essentially. And uh, they didn't even carry weapons out in the open. They weren't, they weren't in clothes like in, um, in any kind of official insignia or, or mm. uh, outfits. And that, that was essentially their role. And it began expanding from there in 92 for the first decade that's essentially what they're doing, but it was expanding. But after that first decade or around 2002 is when they began going, like officially going after murderers, kidnappers, mm-hmm. assassins, and all of these other, you know, violent criminals. And this is when, at least according to Al Jazeera and, and in their reports, this is when those roadblocks started happening that you were talking about, Ben.
3: Yeah. Yeah, you're right, Matt. I want I want to, uh, step back a little bit. Uh, it, it's in the mid '90s, hmm. uh, to our knowledge, when uh, members of SARS started committing extrajudicial murders that mm. we can trace. We can trace like clearly. Uh, they arrested in ni- 1996. They arrested these two security guards who were suspected of being the inside heist members of a robbery. The guards were not charged with a crime. And in January of the next year, their bodies were just put in a morgue without Whoa. any explanation of what happened to them. Whoa. In, in SARS custody. In case we need to put a fine point on that. Uh, and, yeah. and, and you're right. You're right, Matt. Um, they started covertly. They started... Covertly, out of what was arguably necessity, you know, the Nigerian army and the Nigerian police force were at odds, right? Uh, and so, the problem is that it seems they went to a place where they were existing beyond the law, and it's it's tough to pinpoint the exact moment where that kind of corruption occurs. You know, it's not like it's not like people in the police force get together, have a meeting. And say, all right, school's out. We're going to be like Homelander and the boys. We're going to do whatever Mm. we want. Mm. It just, the rules gradually erode until they are completely washed away. Oh,
2: that doesn't feel dire or awful at all. He said sarcastically.
3: (sighs) However, there is good news because... You know, the protest accomplished one of the primary aims, which is to disband this force. And it's not disbanding the entirety of the police force. Obviously, it's disbanding SARS. And SARS hasn't been around forever. 1992 uh, was not that long ago. It's longer than some of our fellow listeners might think, but it wasn't that long ago. So, with this, we see a couple of things, maybe. I guess the inspiring idea is that uh, we see a case where a protest was focused and worked, you know, but to your question, A, we have to ask ourselves, is this lasting reform? Are the teams that grow to uh, fulfill the same duties that SARS was meant to fulfill, are they going to be able to hold the line? Are they going to um, end up breaking the same laws They're there to like they're there to enforce who watches the watchman and who polices the police.
4: And aren't they still actually shooting protesters as of like the day before we're recording this?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, a show that I like to watch every day. If I haven't recommended it, I, I will now. It's, it's Democracy Now. Uh, it's a daily, you know, streaming news show, and they cover things like this that often don't get coverage on other networks. And yes, there are protests around this, and there was a situation just a few days ago where um, these forces fired live ammunition into a crowd of protesters. So it's absolutely still a thing.
2: Hey, Ben, Ben, I, I love that I, I'm I'm nagging you now, Noel. I love that Noel has just discovered democracy now.
1: No, I'm not. I haven't just discovered <laughs> I'm it. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm I
2: haven't
1: just, joking. just discovered it. I'm completely joking. It's just joking. something that I start my day <laughs> out with, and I've gotten back into in this crazy <laughs> news cycle where there's so much misinformation. I've always relied on them, and I really enjoy their reporting and uh, and just got back into it, and I, I, they, they are re- reporting this. A story very regularly.
3: That's awesome. Yeah. And uh quote named Doc Holliday, I think you make a tremendous point and I appreciate it because you are you are correct. And it wasn't just a couple of people, a dozen protesters in Nigeria have apparently been killed by security forces after the October eleventh disbandment, which means that ending SARS is not disbanding SARS is not ending the problem of uh Law enforcement attacking civilians, because these these are civilians. You know what I mean? They're not militarized. They're protesting, and, and protests can turn violent. But as A said, the, the majority of these protests, when they started out, they were peaceful. It was the police who fired first. Hmm.
4: And I know that this happened in the, I don't remember exactly which day it was, but certainly this week, there's this image that's become sort of iconic within this movement, you know, because I've seen a lot of pictures and video on the ground from this of, you know, somebody being shot and they were, in order to stop the bleeding, somebody wrapped their leg or side in a Nigerian flag. And so there's blood all over this flag. And then you can see pictures of where they hung up this Nigerian flag with, you know, protesters' blood on it. And people have been passing that image around a
3: lot. Unfortunately, that means we have to end this, uh, this story on um, immediate arrest. We have to end it before the story has concluded. We know that there are multiple protests here. We know that the national government has been more or less silent on this point. Uh, on, on these deaths. Uh, and as we're recording this, we're, we're waiting to hear more. You can see some televised statements from officials who are saying uh, that they are investigating the, uh, I think the phrase they use is rules of engagement that law enforcement has chosen to deploy. But that is very different from saying don't shoot citizens. I think we can agree. Yeah, for sure. Yep. <laughs> uh, on a on a high note, just because that's a really, really difficult and important point for us to end on. Um, on, a, on a lighter note, uh, Phil Collins may get his mansion back. Uh, apparently, he's asked people to help him, like his ex-wife and someone are in an armed occupation of the mansion. What? So we, he might get his mansion back. I don't know. That doesn't really... Oh man! That's not the positive note I was looking for.
2: Oh, uh, I just want him to write a song about it. I uh, want him to do
3: an album of all Steely Dan covers called Steel Collins, uh, or, or a classics compilation called Still Collins. Uh, These are all terrible. No, uh,
1: I think you mean terribly amazing <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and gold. <laughs> oh, good.
3: So. This this is our show. Thank you to A, thank you to Bob, thank you Anonymous. As we said, these are, these are heavy topics. Yeah, they, they are important. Uh, and we want to explore them further. We need your help. You can find us all over the internet. Uh, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. We like to recommend Here's Where It Gets Crazy on Facebook. There will be a quiz, however, never fear, it's very easy. You simply have to name one of us, or codename Doc Holiday, or Mission Control. Uh, give us a joke that tickles us. Point out a, a terrible pun. Just, just say something that um, say something that gives us some light in these dark times. Uh, or you know, just point out something that lets lets us know you listen to the show. And boom, you're in in what has often been called uh, the uh, new improved version of the Illuminati. By us, one time right now. Yes, <laughs> yes,
1: yes, yes. <laughs> That's all it takes, you know? Just a, a single spark can start a, a, a fire. That's right. A movement, uh, even. A movement. Um, Whoa, well, how else can people get in touch with us? How can people uh, re- re- reach out through the void that is in the internet to communicate with us?
2: Uh, use your phone, it's pretty cool. You can you can you can use VoIP too if you got that Skype thing on your computer. You just dial one eight three three S W Y T K. You will get a voicemail. You will hear Mister Ben Boland, the one that we call Ben. He will talk to you, uh, an automated version of him, and then you can leave a message and you tell us whatever you want. Make sure to let us know if we can use it on the air or not in one of these episodes. That's highly important. Um, Hey, guys, can can I do uh, the fastest shout-out really fast to a project that a few of us are working on? Absolutely not. Yeah, please. Okay, I'm going to go with Ben's answer. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, ben and I have been working on a show, uh, and Noel, it's not to exclude you, uh, but it's a show called 13 Days of Halloween that is available right now, and it is a fiction horror anthology show brought to you by Aaron Menke of Lore And Blumhouse, the people who brought you Get Out and Invisible Man and a ton of other amazing movies and television shows. Don't forget about Fantasy Island. Fantasy Island, there's all kinds of amazing stuff that they do. Well, guess what? They are making this show, and uh, Ben and I happen to be a part of the creation of the show. And uh, Ben's voice is going to be in it (gasps) as, as one of the actors, and two of his stories that he wrote are in it. And uh, and I get to direct and uh, be co-creator of the whole thing. but yeah, the
3: Matt made the show. Guys. But yeah, but, <laughs> Matt, but Matt actually made the show.
2: But I couldn't have made it without the amazing uh, writers and actors who are a part of it. Ben, thank you so much. You kicked butt on this. And the best thing is, if you like Key and Peel, and you know what that is, um, Keegan Michael Key is actually playing the the main character, is what I will call him in this show. So check it out if you like any of that stuff, if you're feeling Halloween-y, 13 days of
3: Halloween. Okay, that's Halloween-y, even? Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Wait, (laughs) that's a joke
3: from Ridiculous History. Uh, It's okay. Crossover, extended
1: universe. (laughs) I think you missed the boat. You should have called it the 13 days of Halloween.
3: Uh, Sorry, guys. (laughs) We just need to work with more people named Wayne. That's really... Take takeaway. but um, the show is great. Uh, do listen with headphones, I think. That's a
2: oh, yeah, it's 3D. That's
3: yeah, it's, it's uh, audio. it's binaural, it's mm-hmm. it's creepy. It's like
2: ASMR horror, uh, with Keegan Michael Key and Ben Bolin. There you go. That's no, it. No, no, that's the show.
3: No, no well. <laughs> Too kind. If you don't enjoy it, uh, please send an email to our complaint department. As always, that's Jonathan Strickland at iHeartRadio.com. But if you want to talk to us about any of the things we named, uh, if you want to suggest topics you think our fellow listeners will enjoy in the future, and you hate phones, don't sip social meds, uh, you can go ahead and reach us directly, no matter where you are, no matter what time it is. We have a good old-fashioned email address. We are conspiracy at
1: iHeartRadio.com.
2: Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio.